0: So the video we just watched was Lose My Soul by to- Toby Mack. As we talk about Abraham today, it will become abundantly clear that Abraham chose his soul over the world. One of the facts of life that we discover with experience is that God often reveals himself to us in a crisis situation. Pastors have the opportunity to sit down with lots of people and talk about how much someone has learned about God after the death of a loved one or a family crisis or during an extended illness. It often seems that we learn more in the shadows than in the sunlight. I doubt that any of us would choose to go through a crisis in order to learn more about God. However, sometimes we don't have a choice. But we do have a choice about whether we will learn from a crisis and use it as an opportunity to grow closer to God or whether we will let it defeat us. In our study of the life of Abraham, we have come to one of those crisis moments. It happens just as he and Sarah returned from their ill-fated trip to Egypt to escape the famine. While they were there, Abraham had lied to save his life. The lie worked for a while until God intervened. Then Abraham was forced to leave the country after having been publicly humiliated by the Pharaoh. But he left a much richer man than he came. In spite of his sin, God had blessed him with great wealth in Egypt. And it is his great wealth that will now bring him great trouble. It's important to remember that if Abraham hadn't gone to Egypt in the first place, he wouldn't have this problem now. It's his compromise and deceit that made him and his nephew Lot so rich that they could no longer live together. The Bible tells us that where they lived could not support both of them. Evidently, the Canaanites and the Parasites controlled most of Palestine, which meant that Abraham and Lot had to live in the neglected areas. That would have been no problem when they were middle-class herdsmen, but now that they had moved up the ladder, they both needed some breathing room. Think back a couple of months. Do you remember income tax day in April? Very few of us enjoy paying taxes, but it does accomplish one good thing at least. Working through all of those figures and forms, and meeting with the accountant, and and going back over those schedules forces us to take a good look at what we have in the way of worldly goods. When we sign that return and enclose our forms, and quite possibly our check, and send it off to the IRS, we need to remember the words of Proverbs 23.5, in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Most surveys of married couples reveal that finances are the number one cause of arguments between husbands and wives. Some of you could probably testify to to the truth of that, I'm sure. But note, in Abraham's case, the problem was having too much money. Abraham and Lot didn't start quarreling until the flocks got too big. When they were both middle class herdsmen, everyone was happy. Money is good and we need it, but it doesn't solve everything. In fact, some of the unhappiest people around are the people with more money than they know what to do with. Money, in and of itself, is not evil. That dollar in your pocket isn't evil, but it can be used for good or for evil, depending on how you spend it. The Bible tells us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It stirs up trouble, it breaks up marriages, it destroys friendships, it ruins businesses, splits partners, it corrupts families, and it even divides churches. Actually, the Bible talks about four prominent reasons why the people of God fight among themselves. First is excessive prosperity. And Genesis 13 offers a prime example, but it also talks about arrogance and pride in Romans 14. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That's in verse 10. Selfish ambition is the third. And in Matthew 20 verse 16, it says, So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. And finally, the Bible warns against moral compromise in Joshua 7 and about the danger of tolerating sin. Verse 13, get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Abraham and Lot had become extremely wealthy. God had blessed them abundantly, but it led to all sorts of problems. We'll get back to their story in a moment, but first, let me offer a few facts that we need to remember when Christ followers start quarreling with each other. Satan loves to divide God's people and sow discord among us, and typically he uses people to accomplish his purposes. God commands us to keep the unity of the Spirit because it is a witness to the people around us who are watching our behavior. And the Bible warns against those who would destroy that unity through greed, pride slander gossip and innuendo and these individuals are to be warned but if they do not repent they should be removed from the church these are strong words but i am convinced that they are absolutely biblical when sin is tolerated and not dealt with it spreads like a cancer and the whole body is damaged there are times when we have to put principles ahead of friendship Love must be tough enough to stand up against moral evil, even when it comes from those we love the most. Sometimes we simply can't live together in peace. Obviously, we ought to do everything possible to solve our problems, but sometimes our best just isn't good enough. This side of heaven, we aren't always going to see things eye to eye. In that case, it is better to separate than to go on fighting continually. That's what happened to Abraham and Lot. In this case, the crucial crucial question was, who was going to make the first move? It's precisely at this point that we see Abraham's greatness. Somebody had to step in and stop this nonsense, but it wasn't Lot. He was too worried about getting the best land for himself. Even though Abraham had the right to choose first, he gives up his right in order to settle the conflict. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. He makes his appeal based on the fact that they were family. We are close relatives. Most of the people in the Church of Jesus Christ, or most of the problems in the Church of Jesus Christ would be solved if we would just remember those words. We are family. Christians will disagree on many different issues. But we can follow Romans 14, which speaks of holding our convictions while accepting those who see things differently. It's very difficult to find God's will or follow it when Christians disagree. We are closely related. We tend to forget that in the heat of battle, don't we? Somehow we become adversaries and friends become enemies. Abraham's solution is the only one that will work under the circumstances. Verse 8 begins... Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, I'll take the land to the right. If you want the land to the right, I'll take the land to the left. There's no need to quarrel because the land of Canaan is big enough for the both of them. But in the end, they couldn't stay together. So Abraham offers Lot his unrestricted choice of the land. By human standards, this makes no sense. Why would he do such a thing? Well, I think because he wanted to solve the problem peacefully. He also was willing to lose in the short run in order to keep the peace in the long run. And he believed that God would take care of him no matter what happened. Abraham had discovered the all-important truth that in the kingdom of God, The way up is down. Several years ago, Bill Hybels from Willow Creek Church near Chicago wrote a book with an interesting title, Descending, Descending into Greatness. The very idea seems absurd. Our our culture today says to get ahead, you've got to climb to the top of the ladder. You have to look out for number one, win through intimidation, dress for success, learn the tricks of the trade, and learn the leadership secrets of Attila the Hun. But the world's way and God's way couldn't be more different. God showed us his way at Bethlehem. The Bible says that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's in Philippians 2, verse 8. The way up is down. When will we ever learn this simple truth? Sometimes we have to lose in order to win. Often we must go down in order to rise up. The way up is down. The way to greatness is humility. So now Lot gets to choose any part of the promised land, north, south, east, or west. It doesn't matter. It was like winning the coin toss at the Super Bowl. The choice was his. At this point, the writer of Genesis makes it painfully clear what was motivating his decision. In verse 10, we read, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It seemed to Lot that the Jordan River Valley was like the Garden of Eden come to life before his very eyes. As he looked in that direction, he saw lush fields for his cattle, plenty of room for vineyards. Vast open areas for homesteading, and above all, he saw that there was water, and plenty of it. Water. Someone has said that the water in in Israel is more precious than oil. You may remember that one of the treaties between Israel and Jordan a number of years ago centered largely on water rights from the River Jordan. For centuries, people have fought and died for access to fresh water in the Middle East. So Lot makes his choice based on the availability of water. As he and Abraham parted company, Lot moves toward the city of Sodom, while Abraham moved toward Hebron. One man went east, the other west. Who got the better of this deal? Well, from all outward appearances, it certainly looked like Lot had won. After all, he got the best land, and Abraham had to take what was left. Verses 11 through 13 tell us, Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. In settling near Sodom, Lot made three mistakes. He chose himself over others. He chose his occupation over his family. And he chose the immediate over the future. We can never compromise with evil and come away clean. We can't sleep in the sewer without getting dirty. And we can't dance with the devil without paying the devil's price. By choosing to live near Sodom, Lot was exposing himself and his family to serious moral evil. I'm sure if you asked him beforehand, he would have defended himself by saying that he never intended to make friends with the people of Sodom. He only lived there because that's where the best land was. Either he was ignorant of the sin of Sodom, or he just didn't care. But if he didn't know, he should have known, because the people of Sodom celebrated their perversity. Moral compromise often begins with a tiny step in the wrong direction. Most of us don't intend to fall into sin, but it happens so subtly that before we know it, our lives are entangled in a web of deceit and sin. James 1, 14 through 15, graphically pictures the steps to spiritual death. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Note the progression, temptation, desire, sin, death. What starts with a fleeting thought, if not immediately resisted, progresses into action, which in turn leads to sin, which ultimately results in death. By the way, don't ever let anyone tell you that um, temptation is wrong. Temptation isn't wrong, it's normal. But each temptation of life brings us face to face with a moral choice. Either we give in or we stand our ground and say no. Each time we give in, even a little bit, we grow weaker. And each time we stand our ground, even a little bit, we grow stronger. Every day, each of us makes hundreds of decisions, most of them very small. What to wear, which way to drive to work, when to get lunch, what to eat for lunch, Each decision we make, though, is either a step into the darkness or a step into the light. This is especially true when we're fighting an addiction or making tough moral choices. Each day, we are faced with a thousand tiny decisions, and each one will either lead us back into the darkness or toward the light of life. When we get off track, we need to realize that we didn't get where we are overnight. It took thousands of tiny decisions to get there, and it will take thousands of tiny decisions to get out. But each day, as we take tiny steps toward the light, we will move slowly toward a brand new life. Believe me, there are people who have tried this. I've tried this. And their life and my life has changed. They have learned to live and walk in the light of God's love every day. So where did Lot go wrong? He made his choice based only on what he could see at the moment, because he couldn't see the evil of Sodom It didn't bother him in the least because his eyes were filled with the desire for the lush fields of the jordan valley he made the wrong choice and he paid dearly for it later on he would lose everything he had and barely escape with his own life when god finally brought judgment on sodom let me tell you a story that happened several years ago at a church in chicago About every month or six weeks or so, gang leaders from all over Chicago would meet at this particular church on a Saturday afternoon to play basketball and talk about how they could reach their friends for Christ. Sometimes 40 or 50 guys would show up. It was a miracle because in any other setting they would be shooting each other as mortal enemies, but they met at this church as a group of friends. The leader of this group was a young man named Silvio. He said that just One day, someone approached him and asked if he wanted to help cut and sell $10,000 worth of cocaine. The man would put up the money if Sylvu would help sell it on the street. He said that he could easily sell that much in a month or two and clear $50,000 at the very least. When asked how much he could make in a year selling drugs, he paused and thought about it carefully. Conservatively, I could make $200,000, $300,000. That wouldn't be out of the question. Sylvu was only 18 years old. So what did he do? He had experienced more of life in 18 years than most people had seen in 80 years. He'd seen everything that you could see on the streets and he'd done most of it. But when he met Jesus Christ, his life was radically transformed. He went on to study at DeVry Institute to be an electronic specialist. He prayed for a Christian wife and for the chance to raise a family for the Lord. And he also began to talk about being a pastor. So he said no to the drug dealer. Sure, the money looked good, and he knew exactly what to do, but he didn't have to pray about it. He just said no. Why? Sodom may look good today, but tomorrow it's going up in flames. I find it most interesting in the story of Abraham that God does not speak until after Lot has moved on. Why is that important? Because God has nothing to say to a compromising believer. You can have Sodom, or you can have the Lord, but you can't have both. So now the Lord comes back to Abraham and reassures him once again. Verses 14 through 17. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south and east and west. I am giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through land in every direction for I am giving it to you. Abraham must have been amazed when he heard this. God now speaks to the point of his need. First, he promises to give Abraham all of the land. Second, he promises to give Abraham's descendants or give Abraham descendants so numerous that no one could ever count them all. And third, he encouraged Abraham to go take a prayer walk through Canaan and survey the land the Lord was giving him. Think about this. Lot had chosen the best land, but God promises to give all of it to Abraham. He and Sarah have no children at this point, but God promises descendants like the dust of the earth. The wicked Canaanites control the land, but God is giving it to Abraham. What is the significance of all this? Two points come quickly to mind. First, God has made an eternal promise to the Israelites that they will live. In the promised land. The promised land belongs to Israel and to no one else. God signed over the title deed 4,000 years ago. Second, God honors those who yield their rights because they believe in God's promises. If you're looking for an application, here it is. Because Abraham didn't demand his own way, God gave him back everything he lost, and then some. So who won? Well, I think it's fair to point out that as this story ends, you might argue that Lot did, in fact, win. After all, he got the best land. But Abraham's got the Lord. That's exactly what Genesis 13 is teaching us. You may win in the eyes of the world, but end up losing everything. Jesus said in Mark 8:36, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? lot won in the short run but his victory didn't last long by choosing to let lot choose abraham won in the long run he got all the land anyway and he also ended up with the lord he didn't lose his soul god gives the best to those who leave the choice to him let's pray lord it is so hard to make the good choice sometimes We pray that you are with us as we make those choices that may seem very small in the moment but have lasting impact in the long run. Lord, help us to not lose our soul by choosing the world over you and to make the best decisions that will help us win in the long run. In your name we pray. Amen.